I'm Sylvia Pong. I'm John Ray Serapia. You're listening to At the Moment by AZ Media. So, John Ray, guess what? What? This is the final episode of our first ever season of At the Moment. What? Just kidding, I knew that it was. <laughs> it's been so long, but we are finally here. So thank you all for sticking with us. Yes, thank you all so much. And I'm also so proud of our team at AZ. Yeah, I am too. So for our season finale, we wanted to turn our attention to a political figure that is definitely no stranger to the Asian American community, Andrew Yang. I'm sure everyone has heard of Andrew Yang. After his failed presidential run, he's actually now running for the mayor of New York City. And to backtrack just a bit, if you're even slightly tuned into the saga of a presidential election last year, you probably heard Andrew Yang talk about... Ah, yes. Universal basic income. So universal basic income uh, would be a $1,000 dividend for every American adult citizen every month under my plan, the Freedom Dividend. The economy would start working better for us. Yang got this idea from Martin Luther King Jr. and he ran with it. He literally ran on it. But he rebranded the policy under a completely different name, the Freedom Dividend. I listened to this interview that Yang gave on Freakonomics a couple of days ago, and he actually said that he pulled this idea with a bunch of different names and with all types of voters. So universal basic income tests great with about half the country. And then the other half of the country do not like it. Because? Um, because, you know, there's, it's got welfare connotations. Something along those lines. He found that it worked better to call it the Freedom Dividend, because then it captured the approval of right-wing Republicans, while the essence of the idea retained support from the left. And I think that this mirrors a little bit of how his politics works. Like, he's not clearly defined on any type of political spectrum. But the universal basic income only took Yang so far during his presidential campaign. But it did build him a fan base because he's now one of the leading candidates in this race. A new poll by New York One and Ipsos found of likely Democratic voters, 22% support Yang as their first choice for mayor. But for the rest of our listeners who may not be New Yorkers, we just wanted to shed some light on how Asian and Pacific Islander New Yorkers have been receiving his campaign. Yes, and this topic wasn't really on the radar of national media. But there is a real movement going on in New York of Asian American Pacific Islanders who are actively organizing against Andrew Yang's mayoral campaign. And in this episode, we want to take a look at some of the biggest criticisms made against him so we can figure out what really is the case against Andrew Yang. So just a disclaimer to everyone before we even start this episode. Sylvia and I are not local New Yorkers. I'm across the river over here in Jersey, and Sylvia's from Long Island. So Sylvia and I are not endorsing anyone because we essentially have no voting rights here in New York City. Yeah, exactly. But the bigger question is, will John Ray and I ever leave our parents' homes and become real adults? Well, stay tuned for that. That's like a real personal burn. Well, I may be in suburbia, but at least I'm not a basket kid and moved to Brooklyn. Oof. (laughs) Sorry to all my alumni. Love you all. Well, anyways, we started by reminding y'all of Yang's central presidential campaign policy, the Freedom Dividend. But what is the cornerstone of his mayoral platform? Well, he hasn't completely done away with the principles that made him so popular, 
but he has rebranded the idea yet again. He's now proposing a smaller version of a universal basic income in the form of a direct cash relief program to New Yorkers that are in poverty. We need to realize Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream of a guaranteed minimum income and get cash into the hands of people who need it most. He really loves to name drop Martin Luther King Jr. Even though his vision is fundamentally different from what Martin Luther King proposed in 1960s. Yeah, according to Yang's plan, to fund the direct cash relief program, they'll need to cut some corners from other places in the city budget. And that includes some already existing welfare programs. In a New York Times article, Bryce Colvert explains that while MLK Jr. wants the government to provide everyone with enough money to live on, Andrew Yang is making people choose between receiving, quote, the bulk of the direct government benefits that they currently received or forfeit them and instead get $1,000 a month, unquote. Right. Not to mention that cash relief would only be handed out to about half a million New Yorkers if it were to be implemented. So, no, not that universal, really. A Yang's direct cash relief idea isn't the only part of his campaign that has come under fire. As someone who's running for mayor of New York, a lot of New Yorkers are questioning his claims to the Big Apple, like when he named Times Square as his favorite subway stop. It's my stop, so Times Square. Uh, I've been in your favorite subway there. station is Times Square. It's big. It's cavernous. There are entertainers there. Sure. Like, what's not to like? And he also retreated to his second home in New Paltz, New York, at the peak of the pandemic, which is about 80 miles away from Manhattan. And he's even been outed for not voting in any mayoral election in New York City from 2001 to 2017. That's not a great look for somebody who's running for mayor. Or a New Yorker. (laughs) That's true. I mean, overall, a lot of this has really highlighted Yang's inexperience and almost his disconnect from the realities of city government. This is especially hard to justify when there are candidates, including Diane Morales, a former nonprofit executive, and Maya Wiley, lawyer and former counsel to Mayor de Blasio. Mm. Two Black women running on progressive platforms, either of whom could really be historic wins for New York. Other top polling candidates include Catherine Garcia, who is a former sanitation commissioner, former NYPD transit officer, Eric Adams, city comptroller Scott Stringer, and former Wall Street exec Ray McGuire. Something we want to make clear is that none of these candidates are perfect. What this petition reminds us is that all politicians should be held accountable since they're all vying for an incredibly high position of power. And it's a position that runs for four years, with most getting a second term, making that eight years. A lot of their decisions will affect New Yorkers for generations to come. And it's with that weight and knowledge that Asian and Pacific Islander New Yorkers have organized to create Asians Against Yang a coalition of community members, organizers, and activists who are opposing Yang's bid to be New York's next mayor. More on Asians Against Yang after this break. Hey there, I'm John Ray, the host of At The Moment Podcast. Today we talk about the APIA-led petition against NYC mayoral candidate and former presidential candidate Andrew Yang. We wanted to uncover what the petition alleges and what the real case against Andrew Yang looks like. I hope you'll leave the episode with new perspectives and insight into the opponents of Yang, and also representational politics in general. If you like this episode, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening. More than 700 Asian and Pacific Islander New Yorkers have signed a letter that outlines eight reasons that they're against Andrew Yang's bid to become the next mayor. 
The petition opens with a reminder of the state that COVID has left the city in. Thousands of lives lost, a renter's crisis, and extremely high unemployment, to name a few. It also calls to attention the concerning rise of anti-APIA hate in New York, which has seen numerous violent incidents. What's interesting is that this petition recognizes that there is a need for more Asian Pacific Islander representation in local politics. But it also argues that Yang's track record, policies, and actions eclipse the benefits of APIA representation in local politics. And the petition offers a number of sources below each of the eight criticisms that it levies against Yang. We'll include the link in our show notes, though you can search it up yourself at asiansagainstyang.com. Okay, so, so let's break down each of these points, starting with the first criticism. He has perpetrated racist stereotypes and associated them with racists. I thought it was interesting they noted that Yang has appeared on a number of right-wing podcasts. Okay, so I just pulled it up and so, look, he's given interviews to The Rubin Report, Tucker Carlson, the infamous Fox News anchor, and most notably, Joe Rogan. The Joe Rogan Podcast, check it out. I can't believe you did that. (laughs) It's a scene. (laughs) I don't know what else to say about that. Um, But truly, it is concerning that Yang made it a priority to appear on these conservative podcasts because the stages that you choose for yourself on the campaign trail says a lot about you as a candidate. And it doesn't speak highly for Yang that he's prioritizing being on these shows. Yeah, and this petition specifically calls Yang out for not attending a progressive Muslim forum so that he could guest star on a podcast helmed by the overly anti-Islamic Sam Harris. Mm. And there are other parts to this first point that we haven't covered, so just make sure that you check out all the sources that are linked in the petition. Moving on to number two. Yang has historically taken pro-policing stances. Mm, And this is particularly harmful to the movement to defund and abolish the police in New York. Yang has tweeted in support of and openly called for more policing in New York City subways. And he's also called for increased funding to an NYPD task force rather than investing in community-based safety programs. We should be taking these hate crimes very, very seriously. We should be funding uh, the hate crimes task force for the Asian American community. Uh, I feel like he really doesn't know how to read a crowd. We talked about the hate crimes task force a couple episodes back, and we learned from abolitionist Jason Wu that the task force and increased policing is a reactionary and shallow and often dangerous response to anti-APIA violence. Reminders that police safety is not necessarily community safety. Exactly. And by just calling for more funding to another subsidiary of the NYPD, Yang's not really addressing the systemic issues that led to a rise in violence and crimes in and against our communities. Definitely check out our episode, What You Need to Know About Anti-Asian Violence, if you want to learn more. Something else that I've noticed on Twitter was that some New Yorkers have been calling out Yang for trying to co-opt some progressive movements. Here's a recent audio clip of him being ousted from a rally for attempting to use it as a photo op. This rally was in Brooklyn for Dante Wright, who was a victim of police violence in 2019. It's honestly quite offensive that he takes such a pro-police stance, but he tries to turn an anti-police rally into a photo op. Yeah, it's really not a good look at all. Actually, I went to an anti-Asian hate rally organized by the Fung Brothers and a few other nonprofits here in New York with our producer, Cynthia. And Yang actually spoke at the rally, But as he started talking about solutions, 
first thing he said was calling for more funding for the hate crimes task force. Some folks cheered him on, but the crowd quickly turned on him and booed him off the stage. Yikes. I mean, I think we get the picture here, so let's move on to the next point, so. Point number three of the petition. Lacked vision on our most eminent crises, especially housing and homelessness. Mm. Okay, so housing is a huge issue in New York City, so it's really, really important for a candidate to get it right. But we're no experts on housing policy, so you can read deeper into Yang's stances on affordable housing in the link in our show note. We honestly wish we had more to say about this topic, but we just don't think we'll be able to do it justice. So I highly recommend that you read deeper into Yang's stance on affordable housing and also the sources linked in the petition, which are both in our show notes. So do check it out. Number four, the petition. Espouse harmful education policies that will hurt our kids. This one probably strikes a chord with a lot of Asian parents. So first off, New York is home to one of the most segregated public school districts in the nation. And the top public schools, which right now require a specialized placement test called the SHSAT to get in, are all majority Asian and white. Stuyvesant High School is at the top of that list. And in 2020, New York Times reported that only eight Black students were admitted in a school population of well over 3,000 students, of which 73% are Asian. Yeah, so for the Asian community, it's touchy because the majority of Asian students who get into these schools are also low and middle income. Andrew Yang has proposed keeping this placement test and adding more measurements of success like report cards and extracurriculars, pretty much college admissions for high schools. But we also all know that college admission standards are changing across the country in response to a couple of similar issues. So I'm not sure if mirroring that system in New York City is the right way to mitigate and solve this problem. And the Coalition for Asian American Children and Families actually came out with a statement and report that stands very strongly against the placement tests. This report also argues that Asian families have obsessed over getting these tests perfect because these families have little to no access to other resources to achieve their social mobility. To quote one student from Stuyvesant, quote, I can see how damaging the overemphasis on high-stakes testing such as the SHSAT truly is for young people and their families who feel like these tests are the only way to achieve the American dream, unquote. And just a reminder, in 2006, at age 30, Andrew Yang took over a test prep center that was called Manhattan Prep after this failed job that he had at a healthcare startup. His background and proposed policies show that he will probably continue defending the SHSAT and also probably add some more measures that will likely put even more pressure on the applicants. Number five, used quote-unquote progressive campaign promises to hide regressive policies. And here, the petition refers to how the UBI proposal isn't universal. Yeah, I mean, we've said it before and we can say it again. Yang's UBI proposal is really not that universal. And this petition was right to point out that it won't resolve deep poverty, food insecurity, and other structural issues in our society. Wait, how many points are there in this petition? (laughs) There's eight. Uh, Okay, let's move on to the next one. Number six. Allied with reactionary forces and big businesses. I really want us to unpack what this means for electoral politics. Yeah, I do too. So the petition points out that his campaign is run by Tusk Strategies. The CEO of Tusk Strategies, Bradley Tusk, 
ran the campaign for Bloomberg's second mayoral term. He also helped Uber undermine yellow cab drivers here in New York and also helped pass Proposition 22 in California. I know, right? For those who don't know, Proposition 22, among other workers' rights violations, basically allows app-based employers to totally deny their drivers minimum wage and basic health and also safety benefits. Oh, no. That's like really important when you're driving. Tusk is responsible for helping a lot of gig employers maintain their capital gains rather than conceding basic labor rights and recognition to their employees. Okay, so I just saw this video the other day. Yang, like since his presidential campaign days, has been painting this picture of automation as the biggest threat to people's job security. He's told the story countless of times. Many of y'all probably heard it. Like everywhere from, you know, Joe Rogan's podcast <laughs> to the debate stage. But I thought what he said in this next clip, a 2019 interview with NBC reporter John Harwood, tells a lot about his feelings on big business. As you suggested, I'm a capitalist. I'm a fan. Uh, you know, there's nothing more powerful than markets at optimizing uh, where we put resources, and that includes people as well as capital. Uh, at the same time, you're going to uh, see these global capital flows also change as advanced technology comes on, online. And you're seeing not just the mechanization of American work, but you're now starting to see it applied in other parts of the world. So this is an American problem, but it's also a global problem. It's a human problem. Right. I brought this up because in general, Yang has talked about creating more jobs in the face of automation. I'm thinking specifically about the nonprofit he founded to create more jobs, which is called Venture for America. Out of the 10,000 jobs he originally promised to create, it only ended up making like 150 or so jobs. That's like a what, 10% attrition rate. It's like maybe less than that, honestly. Ooh, that's rough. <laughs> but now he's partnering with Tusk Strategies, who were responsible for helping decimate the cab economy in New York. Not to mention helping Uber maintain an underpaid and low-benefits workforce. And it's just all a bit hypocritical to me. Can I just make a note? Like, these industries are dominated by immigrant communities, a lot of which are Asian-American immigrants or are Asian-immigrant community. And it just makes me feel some kind of way as an Asian-American candidate who uses that identity or chooses this policy. Word. Number seven. Exhibited discriminatory practices and workplace toxicity. This one's pretty short, but there's been an accusation that he fired an employee for getting married. Yeah, and then there was another New York Times article that revealed that several women who worked for Yang alleged that he treated them unfairly when it came to compensation and employment. The article also alleged that he once offhandedly remarked that his nonprofit fellowship program, Venture for America, might simply not be the best fit for Black applicants. Well, that's racist. While we don't have the context for the offhand remark, it's racist. It's still worth yeah. noting. It's that <laughs> it's racist. Yeah. <laughs> Finally, number eight. Taking harmful stances on BDS. For those who aren't familiar, BDS refers to the Boycott, Divestment, and Sanctions Movement. The Palestinian-led movement states that Israel is occupying and colonizing Palestinian land, discriminating against Palestinian citizens of Israel, and denying Palestinian refugees the right to the return of their homes. So it organizes boycotts and puts pressure on the state of Israel to comply with international law and also protect Palestinians. And Yang accused the BDS movement to be anti-Semitic and called it a fascist boycott of Jewish businesses. Oh, 
And he also had that really problematic tweet in support of Israel right after the bombing of a Palestinian church. That's just really insensitive. And he really should just have not said anything. No, yeah, I agree. He did not have to tweet that at all. And, you know, so after reading through all eight of these points, I'm really thankful to the folks that have taken the time to organize this petition because a politician's celebrity status does a lot to mask any type of sincere criticism against them. Yeah, and even beyond Andrew Yang, it's so important to remember that every politician should be held accountable because they're ultimately holding a seat of power and authority and decision-making that as voters and as citizens, we have the right to demand more from our politicians. Exactly. And in that thread, we wanted to bring on two signatories of the petition to talk about why they decided to sign this in the first place. One of them is like one of our producers, Cynthia Liu, and also the co-founder of AZ. And the other is James Boo, the co-founder and producer of Self-Evident Asian American Stories podcast, which is so good. You guys need to listen to it. We'll get into our conversation with them after this break. Hey, I'm Kathy, the host of Self-Evident, where we tell Asian America's stories to go beyond being seen. Our show isn't about the biggest names in Asian America. It's about what we go through in our own neighborhoods, our families, or even our own minds. If you found yourself wondering, who is this country actually for and where do I stand? Then hearing the experiences of Asian Americans can help you take on those tough questions and take action. So join us wherever you get podcasts. So as we said earlier, Sylvia and I are not New Yorkers, (laughs) so we wanted to speak to actual New York residents who signed the petition. And here's their conversation. My name is James Boo. I am an audio producer, and I am also the managing producer of Self Evident, which is a podcast that tells Asian America's stories to basically make sense of the greater American story that we are living through and contributing to right now. And I actually am coming to this conversation, not even as that person, but just as a resident of Brooklyn, New York. I've lived here for a dozen years, I think coming up on 13 years. And I lived on the same block for most of that time, um, about 11 years. I am a member of the 52nd Assembly District of New York State. I'm an elected member of the Kings County Committee of the Democratic Party. And right now I'm a volunteer for Brandon West who is a voting rights organizer running for city council in the 39th district of New York City. I'm Cynthia. I am one of the co-founders of AZ Media um, that produces this podcast at the moment. But also I work at Admirasia, which is a Asian American agency here in New York City. Uh, I'm also a recent graduate, so I graduated into the pandemic and now I'm here in New York. I've only been here since February, so I'm pretty new and I'm definitely um, a transplant to the city here. Uh, Currently, I'm in the Hell's Kitchen and Hudson Yards area, but I'll be moving soon down to the Eastville area. Thank you both for introducing yourselves. I think it's really cool that we have two types of New Yorkers here. My first question is like, what were y'all's first thoughts when you heard that Yang was going to run for mayor? I I knew about Andrew Yang before he even ran for the presidential election. He was actually the manager of Next Shark CEO, who was my manager at the time. Um, and that's how I came to know about Andrew Yang. And then the next time I interacted with him was actually at the podcast I was interning at during the summer of 2020. 
He had rumors kind of going around in the city that he was going to run. Um, and we had the host of the show just directly ask him if he was going to. Um, and he just kind of responded in the way that like a reality show star would respond if they were asked about, oh, who you're going to end up with at the end. Um, and so generally, I think I, I was like, okay, I know you're going to run for mayor. And then when he announced, I was like, ah, yes. I don't think anyone was really that surprised, to be honest, either. He was in this kind of celebrity Haitian politician position after the presidential election. And I think in a lot of ways, from his perspective, it made sense for him to go for the mayoral candidacy. But I think it's definitely a controversial one, given that he's not from the city. So I think that was one of the first things that I really thought about. And then the second thing that I really thought about was like, well... Asians are probably going to vote for him because, well, he's Asian. Right. <laughs> and that's the main thing that they're going to think about. And so that's what really made me start looking into his politics from then on to see if like that is a beneficial thing for the community, if it's a beneficial thing for New York City in general. When I, uh, when I heard the announcement, basically my thought was just, God damn it, now I have to listen to people talk about Andrew Yang for like another year. <laughs> And, um, I mean, to be more serious, like, I think my next reaction was simply just like, why? Like, I like to this day, I still don't understand or see the basic reason, even I think from his own stated perspective for like why he's running. He's not presenting a vision, not that many of the candidates are, and that's, you know, an unfortunate truth. And that, that, that kind of tempers, right, any specific criticism I have of Yang. But it's just kind of like the first question I just want to ask if you're running for office is like, why are you doing this? And it's still not completely clear to me um, in any way that's satisfying. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I was listening to another reporter that interviewed him and like followed him around, I think, when he was campaigning in Staten Island. And he asked him once, like, why specifically do you want to run for this position? And he thought, you know, coming off of the presidential election and not winning that, he frankly said, like, the next seat of power that he saw that could change things was, like, just becoming the next mayor of New York City. Mm -hmm. um, and, like, he was, the reporter said that she was very surprised at how frank he was about just wanting to assume power. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. which is, I think, a part of his brand, too, is to appear relatable and frank, almost. I don't know if y'all would agree, but it seems like a lot of the videos that he, like his announcement for mayor, like that in itself, he was trying to seem as bold and relatable as he could be. But I don't, I don't necessarily know, like, what that means for somebody that's going to assume mayoral power, right? Yeah, I recently read an article that compared him to Trump, actually. Yeah, that's... Um, from that angle of like, oh, well, he kind of like sets up this persona. I mean, he's had many, I don't even know if you can call them slip ups <laughs> mm. <laughs> at this point. But some of the things he said, like makes huge headline news and gets a lot of criticism. But at the end of the day, it just makes him more known or well known. And so in terms of that, I think the strategy of going from like no political backgrounds into this sudden like celebrity politician sort of stance, it's very similar. You know, I really just try to stay away from it all. Um, there's going to be some set amount of time I set aside to thoroughly review all the mayoral platforms, double check that my kind of biases and instincts like are actually correlating to some concrete understanding, right, of, the, of like what they say they want to do. 
and whether their track record shows that they might try to do that. But New York as a state and also as, as a city is notorious for just making it difficult for people to do democracy and be a part of it. And so I would love for us to just move beyond this conversational mode where all we can do is pick an Asian person and <laughs> argue over whether that's the right Asian person to represent me, um, mm. as opposed to just realizing, like, I live in a real neighborhood. Um, it has real problems. It has real inequity. It has a real uh, set of results that happen from budget allocations from the city, programs they decide to do, and, like, ultimately, some idea of, like, what is our city supposed to be for the people in it? And really, I think what's up for debate is, are we going to go in a direction and pick uh, elected officials or even outside of that, do grassroots work to make this place a real destination and home for people um, or just a home for people who can't leave and don't really have any other options? Or are we going to get wrapped up in kind of the media circus? Other ways of turning these decisions into conversations that I think just don't have much to do with the people being impacted, right, by the people in power. And that's that sort of media circus is essentially what led Yang to be where he is today, right? What were y'all's reaction to the points that were made in the petition? Also, how did each of you come across a petition and what circles was this petition running through? Well, uh, my teammate, Julia, it's self-evident, just... I can't remember where she saw it, but I think she saw it on social media and just sent it to me as just like, a, oh, this is an interesting thing that's happening. And then I just looked at it once and signed it. The thing that resonated mostly with me in the statement was they had a phrase that said representation alone is simply not enough. And I just appreciate any kind of capacity to spread that idea um, in our politics and our civic discourse. Um, it's really a contrast from so many other emails and posts and events that I see from Asian American folks, Asian American organizations that are just kind of rejoicing every time a person who kind of looks like me runs for office, which to me, like that, it, it strikes me as one of the most superficial ways of thinking about power and like, what is our role in trying to have an influence over the laws and the law enforcement that controls the outcomes of our, of our lives and our communities. Yeah, I relate to that a lot, James. Actually, the person that sent me the petition was, I think, John Ray. You were the one who came across it first. And then you sent it in one of our Slack channels. And I was like, oh, interesting. And then when I read it, too, that was also the line that stood out to me. And it just reminded me a lot of Kamala Harris thinking about her when she was kind of coming up and became vice president. And then suddenly East Asians were claiming South Asians, South Asians were claiming Black Asians. And so I think it's incredibly important to think about Andrew Yang in that context as well, where, yes, he's like, um, I guess, in comparison to Kamala Harris, much more fitting in like the larger mainstream Asian American visual of like an East Asian man. But like in terms of if that's going to directly benefit Asian American communities, if that's actually going to uplift our marginalized communities, it's just not true, given the track records of other politicians who have come before him as well. I'm wondering, like, what do you all think that New York City would need from its next mayor beyond like the candidates that we have before us? Um, and talking more broadly about what what kind of future does New York City need? I mean, ironically, I think what we could use is kind of what Andrew Yang did at a more national stage is just taking kind of a wacky idea and then bothering to 
clearly presented as like, this is the kind of society that we could live in. This is how I see the world. And I just don't see anything like that. Like the, the $2,000 a year thing, it just doesn't seem connected to any bigger vision of like what people need. So I guess to make it a little more personal, my pandemic experience was that as soon as lockdown started, the, a construction group across from our building, uh, directly facing my bedroom, started construction on uh, like a luxury condo. So a construction crew would just start working on this thing at every morning at a.m. And man, I can't wait till they're done. I can't wait till they're done building this thing. So it'll be less noisy. It'll be easier for me to work. And then halfway through, I realized they're building a luxury condo. And I was like, damn it. Now when they're done, I'm just going to have to look at this thing. <laughs> this place that like is not for me that I can never afford to move into. At the start of 2021, our landlord wrote us an email saying like, hey, I'm selling the building. Your leases are not going to get renewed. You have to find somewhere else to live. And then during the process of looking for places to live, uh, I found out from our super that there are like 20 open units on our street, but like nobody's moving into them because no one's going to lower their prices because the landlords don't actually need the money. Some of them actually went and bought a house somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> so like this is not a block for people to live, actually. It's a place for people's money to live. Mm -hmm. I need to hear from any of these mayoral candidates some basic acknowledgement that like this is the city we live in and there can be a better one. There needs to be some dramatic change. Um, and for me, that comes down to housing. I think it's just thing number one, a dramatically different approach to saying that the city is for people to live in. And then everything else as well. <laughs> I could talk about the NYPD, which is probably my second biggest issue. Um, but I, I want, we need a blueprint for how to make the city accountable and um, accessible to people who live and work here. Like, because at the current moment, and for a long time, it's not been that. It's been a city that's designed for investors, designed for developers, and for people who just kind of see it as a piggy bank or a playground. Oh, it's ridiculous. It really is ridiculous. There was that news that came out um, where I think someone had asked all of the candidates, like generally how much a house costs in Brooklyn. I mean, I will say Andrew Yang was like, I think he was the closest one out of all of the candidates. And it kind of goes to show that almost every other person who is running for mayor in this election is just completely out of loop with what a everyday New Yorker deals with in terms of housing. That's incredibly concerning. Yeah. Are there any other names in, in the running that you are aware of that you may think serve might serve this city better? I honestly, I don't think I am voting in this election. One, because I don't think I can, actually. But also because I feel like I still have a bit of like that outsider syndrome of like, I don't think I've been here long enough to be able to necessarily say who would be best for my district or best for mayor of New York City. But in terms of just like, Andrew Yang as a politician was the main thing that I signed the petition for was just a vision of the future that he kind of paints that I don't necessarily agree with. You ever play Mario Party? Yes, <laughs> I have. Now, like, this is going way back in the day, but did you ever play Mario Party 2 for the N64? Oh, that's like a deep cut. I don't know if I played that game. <laughs> Mario Party 2 for the N64 is my favorite uh, of all those because it has the most games where they make no sense and it's almost completely mm. by chance. And um, it's just completely ludicrous. And one of my favorite games in Mario Party 2 is um, you literally have you four players and then you each pick a character and then like they race. And then you just see like which yeah. one wins if the one you pick one. <laughs> That's how I feel about this mayoral race. It's just like all these candidates, 
like to, to be very direct um at this point i'm just deciding how to rank um uh, morales mm. and wiley and um to be totally transparent like i've been trying to like not pay so much attention to the mayor race i'm just more focused on supporting my city council candidate you know when i said it aside the time for me it's basically a decision between like how do i rank those two like to be perfectly honest i i don't think i'm gonna not list andrew yang there are other candidates who are even worse <laughs> One of the reasons we have such a shitty group of mayoral candidates is like, where do they come from? I'm like, I genuinely am still, I don't have the full answer to this. Um, and all the way back to my original reaction of Andrew Yang being like, why is this guy running? Like, where do these people come from to do this? We put so little effort into building a bench of candidates that offers any vision of the future. When you look at um, the outcomes in New York. Um, but in any case, yeah, I, I would think that if we want to set a vision for the future, um, I think we kind of have to look at the whole system and um, try to elevate voices and people who are community organizers, people who are running for local offices, people who have no aspiration for going up um, the ladder uh, as well, because they are ultimately going to be more accountable to the future that they want to see and that they often have no choice. It's kind of just where they're going to have to live. Andrew Yang can just move wherever he wants uh, at the end of the day. I am ex I'm interested to see what happens next. Me too. <laughs> yeah, it's just barreling towards us. Let's <laughs> get out the beer or the whatever it is you need to drink on election night and let's see what happens. That's a wrap. You can read our source materials, stay updated on the story, or email us at azi.media. That's azi.media. Please check out the links on our show notes for resources and links to information about the New York City mayoral election. Next Tuesday, June 22nd is the primaries. And also, see the full petition against Andrew Yang linked in our show notes. This episode was produced by Blake Blue Merwin, edited by Stacey Wong. Story research and reporting led by John Ray Serapio and supported by Sylvia Pong. Scripting by Cynthia Liu, additional research by Sahil Nisha and Alina Panik. Art music is by Satoru Ono, cover art by Susu Schrauber, and special thanks to Nevada Tanetti, Alice Liu, Sabine Shawani, and Tiffany Huang. And I'm your host, Sylvia Pong. And I'm John Ray Thank you all for listening to our very first season. We're so grateful for y'all and the support we've seen in the last few months. And we'll be back with another season soon. But if you like AZ's podcast, you should check out our socials at azi.media to stay updated on next season's announcement and also some possible new products that we're working on launching. Ooh, exciting. Stay tuned. We'll see y'all soon. <laughs>